Hello, Hello horror fanatics. I'm Frank. And I'm Jen, and we welcome you to our weekly podcast. Ooh. The horror. The horror. Thank you for joining us as we dive deep into all things horror, supernatural, scary, and downright creepy. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe to add us to your regular rotation of podcasts. You can also submit... Any ideas, comments, and suggestions to OTH at SeriouslyDecent.com. So now that we got all that out of the way. Yeah. We're at a, we could effectively call part two of our yes. demon series. Or part de. Part de. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're wrapping up demons. Doing demon. None too soon. None too soon. Doing de- uh, demonology today, Correct. Correct. Yes. But before we get into that, yeah. I would like to wish a very special listener a happy birthday on the 10th. Happy birthday, mom. Oh, moms. Yeah. Happy birthday. Yeah. Been all, all this time. Didn't know. Surprise. Yeah, we've been together forever and I just, I'm like, yeah, it's, just sometime, now. it's sometime in February. Just now. Guess yeah. what, Frank? It's February. <laughs> It is. <laughs> it is. We're we're full on in it. Nice. So uh, around demonology, uh, I have a couple books uh, that I'd I like to mention. I used one exclusively. One the exclusively. Encyclopedia of Demons and Demonology by Rosemary Ellen Guiley. It's been a good one. I really don't want to read this book anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's good in small doses. It That's is. like a good coffee table book. Sure. Yeah, you know, because when people come over, you should be like, you know what? Why don't you read up on some demons? Yeah. And alpha- got pictures. In alphabetical order. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It doesn't sound soul draining at all. <laughs> no. No. It doesn't even seem remotely problematic. I pulled back uh, one that we used... Last uh, week's episode, Real Demonic Possessions and Exorcisms by Zachary Knowles, because we will have a story at the end of our uh, our topic. Yes. And I got a lot of information from the Catholic Demonologist Handbook, a comprehensive guidebook to understanding and solving ghost and demonic hauntings by Kenneth G. Deal. D-E-E. Very nice. It was a good book. Yeah. Not too preachy, preachy. Well, a little bit here and there, but. Well, I mean, but I he's not a, get. But I he's not a get. priest, though. That's what was interesting yeah. about this. He's kind of the classic, what you would call a demonologist. Mm-hmm. Which we'll get into. Yes. A, a little later, but he's that classic, uh, that classic demonologist that is popularly known today. Mm-hmm. That lives kind of in between. The, the psychiatrist and the exorcist priest. Right. That's, uh, yes. But as always, we kick it off with a definition. What do you got? Demonology is the study of demons. Yeah. Yep. I, I have a little extra of study of demons or beliefs about demons. Yeah. Because there's yeah. some that won't be that kind of frontline demonologist that works with a quote unquote client. Right. It'll be the, just the person that studies it and kind of has the, the knowledge and know-how of this broad art, I guess you could Why say. Why would you want to know? What are we doing? 
Well, we're we're doing a podcast on it. Yeah. <laughs> if we didn't have this podcast, we'd we still wouldn't be, have done it. Well, we'd still be doing this kind of stuff to a certain degree. Yeah. I know? don't think I would have bought the demons and demonology encyclopedia. You wouldn't have read an encyclopedia from cover to cover? No. No? No. No. Well, um, you have the, basically this, uh, I, I, I don't know if I should call it historical account or are you just it's going kind through of, the different It's kind of like and... the historical, kind of the lore. Mm-hmm. We kind of touched on it briefly in Demons, yep. um, but this is just a deeper dive into, I guess, how the various cultures approach demons. Yeah. And demonology, if mm-hmm. you will. Um, man, I'm going to be happy to get out of this topic. Yeah. And But the worst part is, yeah, we're done with demons and demonology, but we're still not fully out of it because well, no, it goes we'll, into the next we'll couple never, topics. We'll never be out of it, but <laughs> no. this is the deep. Yeah. Like, the way I look at it is, is this was the deep end of the pool. And we were in the yeah. deep end of the pool for... A, a long time. A few weeks. Yeah. As we started getting into this and talking mm-hmm. about it and getting through. And and it's definitely, this is the deep end of the pool. And it goes deep. It sure It really does. kind of tests your mind in a lot of ways. It sure and does. there's a lot of things that we're avoiding to talk about here for a lot of reasons. We'll yeah. get to that later in the episode as we go back and forth with things. Right. However, there's a, a big, yeah, it's, it, I look at it as the deep end of the pool. And, yeah. and some of these other ends will go back into the light end, but, you know, your feet touch and yeah. you're, you know, Sometimes the water's... Sometimes you slide right back down the into it. The water's waist below and, you know, you're yeah. you're comfortable. You know, it's a, it's a nice sunny day. But this stuff got dark. Uh, gets yeah. real dark. And yeah. you almost get that kind of jaded cop attitude where you just see the evil everywhere. everywhere. And yeah. you just look at it and you look and you're just, you know, it's, it's hard to maneuver around that with your thoughts you gotta really kind of ground yourself a lot yeah and in preparing for upcoming episodes and doing my readings i um wow yeah yeah just wow well because good times guys (laughs) it's good times what uh what do you got there okay So demonology had a strong presence in Europe during the Renaissance. They drew on earlier cultures. Um, For example, Mesopotamia believed in a layer of demons beneath the pantheon of benevolent gods. There was a demon that attacked pregnant women. There was a plague demon and etc. Their natural phenomena like floods, lightning or epidemic disease were not scientifically understood yet. So it was labeled as supernatural as the cause. I imagine that being a lot back then because they didn't really have a suitable explanation for a lot of things. So yeah, demons becomes kind of the the blanket term. Oh, yeah. Like you you have ghosts in your blood. So let's let's put some leeches on you so that it can suck the the ghosts out of your blood. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, whatever works. Um, (laughs) historically, demons are considered the cause of all humankind's problems. For example, disease, misfortune, poor health, bad luck, uh, ruined relationships, um, ups and downs, and, uh, and ultimately soul loss. Since ancient times, they've been rumored to have sex with humans, torment, and possess. 
The lore of the ancient Babylonians, Assyrians, and other Middle Eastern cultures teemed with demons. The greatest demonic problem was illness, and the demon had to be cast out or exercised in order for the person to heal. In Mesopotamian lore, demons took the form of human-animal hybrids that could walk upright, they were bipedal, and were controlled by the gods. They could be repelled by charms, amulets, and statues. For example, they referenced there was a statue of a dog buried underneath the, the door, and that served as the guard dog mm. for the house, which later became replaced with an actual guard dog. Oh, okay. So, the more you know. <laughs> more, more is better in <laughs> exactly. this case. Judaic demonology evolved with the influences from Babylonian, Persian, and Egyptian lore. Talmudic tradition claims demons are ever-present and are a constant danger slash threat to humanity. They were created by God on the first Sabbath Eve at twilight. And as dusk fell, before God finished them, they have no bodies. And in another story, they were spawned from Lilith. And in Judaic lore, Lilith was Adam's first wife. Demons can have wings and exist between humans and angels. They're like between the earth and the moon. They're less powerful than angels, and they frequent uninhabited and or unclean places. Once attached to a person or family, bad luck follows. The middle world teems with numberless demons and angels. Angels of destruction are the Malachi Habala, and it's blurred with the demonic. Around the 2nd century uh, CE, the Hebrews developed complex systems of both angels and demons. Just as angels, demons were seen to have jurisdiction over all of creation. Demon magic is frowned upon, but beliefs and practices concerning demons were tolerated. By the Middle Ages, demons had been classed and their duties noted. A class of demon was created by sexual union between Adam and a female demon, which kind of leads me back to Lilith. Mm -hmm. So, little creation myth there. And another category was created every day by the newly dead. They lingered in close contact with the living. Spirits of the wicked, those who were evil in life, became demons. They inflict wounds only God can heal. The Kabbalah establishes hierarchies of demons associated with the ten sephirot, or centers of the tree of life, and the evil powers emanate from the left pillar of the tree of life. So, on my little pendant here, Mm -hmm. they'd be from the the left-hand side. Okay. So, the Apocrypha, or hidden, consists of 15 books or portions of books written between 200 BCE and 200 CE. Demons have minor roles in these works. There's one exception, the Book of Tobit, where a young man, Tobias, learns how to exercise demons from the archangel Raphael, who was disguised as a man. Most pseudopographical works were also written between 200 BCE and 200 CE. Some were written much later, and they contained more information about demons. 
in the work Jubilees, evil originated with bad angels, not with Adam and Eve. In Jubilees, angels are described only by class and duties. One class are the watchers, and these are good angels assigned to watch over humanity. The watchers coveted human women and descended to earth, formed a union of a watcher and a human, and it resulted in a Nephilim, which is a vampiric cannibalistic monster that had evil powers and demons were created by these corrupted angels. So they're saying demons were created by those angels that that fell. That fell and which kind of does corrupt. fall with the whole fallen angel. Yeah. Yeah. They just labeled them as watchers. Gotcha. Watching, honestly, a, watching a little too closely. Huh? When I read that, all I could think of was City of Angels because he literally did fall and he fell, became mortal yeah. for a human. There was also that movie with Matt Damon. I can't remember the, the title where they had that whole higher system going. And he had to watch that that person or no, he was like a politician or something. I, I'm going to butcher the hell out of this. It was the couple that wasn't supposed to, every time they met and got together, bad things happened. Right. So they were never like supposed this, to be together. They were never supposed to be mm-hmm. together. And this machine of, of people were was working trying to, keep to them work apart. to keep them apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. So God sends the flood to cleanse the earth of essentially these Nephilim, but mm-hmm. not all of the Nephilim are destroyed. In Jubilees, um, Mastama, the prince of evil, and he's the only demonic power named, steps forward to ask God if one-tenth of the demons could remain on earth under his jurisdiction, which, I mean, it could be. Yeah, yeah. It's their creation story. And in Christianity, the origin is in fallen angels that followed Lucifer when he was cast out of heaven by God. Jesus healed by casting out demons. As Christianity spread, pagan gods, goddesses, and nature spirits were incorporated into the ranks of demons. Hermits, ascetics, and early saints were constantly beset by evil and demonic attacks. Mm. Origin is believed to be that the angels fell from the sin of pride, not lust. So that kind of rules out the whole watcher's idea yeah demons weren't created evil but became evil by exercising free will not pure spirits but their bodies differ from they're not pure spirits um and their bodies differ from humans they attack humans by obsession evil thoughts and through possession and this includes animals magic is done with the aid of demons He advocated exorcisms performed according to precise ritual to be effective. Humans could become demons, he believed, and he was later criticized for this belief by other theologians. So let's get to the characteristics of demons. They are shapeshifters. They assume any form, animal, or an animal-human hybrid. They condense bodies out of the air and smoke. They... Or they don't have a corporal form at all, and they give the illusion that they are in human or animal form, and they can create voices out of thin air to mimic people. Mm. In Judaic lore, they are always invisible. They can see themselves, and they can see each other. They can see other demons. They cast no shadows, eat, drink, 
propagate, and eventually die, though not like humans. Eating is lapping up fire, water, air, and slime. And when they die, they dry up or wither away to a primordial state. And when having sex, they can assume bodies, but they won't do the deed in front of a another human or animal demon. So they're prude, these demons. I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> prude demons. Yeah. Wow. I mean, of all the things they do, they're like, you yeah, know, this is this is a private matter, please <sighs> and thank you. Uh, so let's get into Christian lore. Why not? Because we're here. Well, you know, it's <laughs> I, I was reading somewhere that pretty much that's like it's like 90% of the record that people turn to. They they hold the most information about it. From the Christian lore? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes sense. They're the ones actively not only talking about it, but recording it. and Well, that's the recording part of it. It's the big stuff. They, yeah. They have kind of just the largest warehouse of information surrounding this stuff. I would love to just have like an hour in the Vatican Library. Yeah. And not like the, the library that they allow everyone into. Like, yeah. The one that Robert Langdon got in. Yeah, with the, with the windows and the yeah the temperature. Yeah, would you treat the place better than that douchebag? Sure did? would. Yeah, sure would. Destroyed the whole place. I would go in there with reverence. I would even wear a hazmat suit. Yeah, to make sure I didn't mess up nothing. But boy, why don't you just go in there with the pope? You know, you think that'd be kind of just a. a, a I'm a I'm seal. more concerned with yeah. these volumes are so old that I can't you, even you can't imagine touch that. Touch like, it with like even, your hands. Yeah. So that's why I was saying a hazmat suit, mm-hmm. not not to protect yeah. me from anything that might potentially be in there. Though, I mean, let's be honest. You could probably just get by there with There could a, be some really nasty microbes. You could probably get by with just a set of tweezers. Just open the pages that way. <laughs> I mean, I guess. Go in with barbecue tongs. <laughs> Kunk. You'd have well, to do, you gotta do the, the, you gotta two, do the click, click, click first, click, you know, make to make sure, sure work. it's working. Yep. You know, yep. yep. So. Like, Let me add them. or not (laughs) so let's get back to the christianity lore so demons assume black forms uh this can be dog animals or men dressed in black and the black dog features a lot Mm. in demon stories yeah q patrick swayze's black dog oh my goodness yeah as they are evil they are imperfect And they always have a flaw in their appearance. They could have a malformed limb. There could be something weird with their eyes. They could have cloven feet. Smell. Just something different. They can assume beautiful, seductive forms, especially if it's a sexual predator. They are unclean, filthy, full of abominable stench. The stench accompanying demons is pretty prevalent. It's in just about just all about the stories. Everything, all the stories, yeah. Yeah. They live in dead bodies. And if they make their body out of the air or occupy a living body, they exude a stench in the body. And they will swell the bowels with excrement and waste, which doesn't that sound delightful? Uh, they are afraid of cuts, wounds, and blows. And those can be used to repel them, or you can repel them by threats of causing them. Mm. 
be like, dude, I'm going to cut you. Yeah. Okay, bye. Yeah. They're organized in hierarchies and function as in a military organization. If lower demons disobey their superiors, they are beaten. So, I mean, I guess there's... There's some sense of order in there. A little bit, I guess. Running a tight ship, perhaps. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Um, so let's get to demonic activities. Um, Why not? They cause illness and or disease. Lack of proper hygiene will enable them to enter a person through contaminated food, dirty hands, and foul environments. Mm. They send bad weather and pests, mice, locusts, etc., to destroy crops. They aid witches using black magic to give instruction on evil spellcasting, um, how to poison, be it people, crops, and animals, with herbs and other substances. And they can act as a familiar or they can grant a familiar. In hauntings and possessions, uh, it starts as an unpleasant poltergeist phenomena, then the revolting smells, then the shape-shifting to deceitful, desirable forms with charming personalities, and once a person is under their possession, they revert back to their original form or, and or nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, Low-level demons can be problematic or become problematic by the use of talking with uh, spirit boards like the Ouija board. And in possessions, they speak through the possessed, uh, altering their voice. They have a fondness for profanity and verbal abuse. And there's physical phenomena that accompanies, like spitting, vomiting, levitation, unnatural twisting of limbs, uh, superhuman strength, and foaming at the mouth are all common. Demons are opportunistic. They assault humans weakened by vices, sin, or curses, or simply being in the wrong place at the wrong time, like a location where acts of evil have taken place. And there have been instances where someone has been you know, just like out on a walk yeah. and they come back and they, some sort of evil has attached itself to them. Mm-hmm. Um, which kind of brings us to demonologists and they study and then fight demons. They can perform exorcisms, but usually those are religious exorcists. And in the 1980s, or in 1980, there were seven recognized demonologists in North America. Six were ordained clergymen, and the seventh was Ed Warren, mm-hmm. which sets us up for a future episode. Eddie. 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 So what do you got? Well, it was funny how we kind of switched roles without even planning this, because I think I should bring to the attention of every listener on here, we don't plan this. You go no. your way, I go yeah. my way. And, and then, then we, we meet the in the middle. <laughs> day before we record, I say, hey, what do you got? And then I yeah. show you what I got, and then we kind of go through it. Yeah. What was interesting about this episode was you did the historical one. Yeah. And I got totally full-on stuck in the demonologist. I just couldn't crawl out of it. No matter how hard yeah. I tried to read out of it, it would suck me right back in. Because I find the whole idea of it fascinating i mean it it really is i i get there's uh a lot of people especially those who balk at religion and they're like demons it's stupid you know it's bullshit 
Yeah. You know, they're they're not going to believe it. Well, just because you you don't believe it doesn't mean it doesn't exist and doesn't mean it's not there. Well, and here's the thing, because with the demonologist that I read, mm-hmm. and I was floating around a few of them, and it's not like it's a huge market. It's not like there's tons yeah, no. of demonologists around, no. especially ones that are kind of publicizing yeah. their work or efforts and putting themselves out in a more public-facing role. I'd have to say, let's be honest, Ed Warren was the only one who legitimately was going on television and he was claiming the one to, to start be a, de- a demonologist. Yeah. Everyone else, and I'm not surprised by this at all, worked under the radar. Yeah, it, it also, you know, I mean, that's just something you're never going to know because, I mean, we weren't around then or anything like that, but it just, what I found interesting is every single culture, every type of religion, when we were talking earlier about ghosts and demons and things, yeah. there's always this good versus evil yeah. thing. And there's yep. this, I, I found this term and I liked it going through here and I'll probably refer to it a bit, but it's spiritual warfare is basically what yeah. it is. And mm-hmm. this is what a demonologist looks and views as. A lot of it used to be called deliverance and deliverance was a big popular word. And then deliverance got all messed up because of those uh, I can't remember the correct domination of it, but the the ones that'll tap the forehead and get all the evil spirits out. And oh, that the, type of stuff. like the, the faith healers. Yeah, the, the faith uh, healers. And, you know, there is a do- denomination of them where they travel around and yeah. they have the, you know, the tents up, mm-hmm. all that stuff. And that um, that's where Deliverance started getting a bad name. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, uh, a demonologist just started to become a buzzword for one who is in the field of demonology and deliverance. And mostly because of this point, it's especially for lady that are non-clergy members of the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. It's where this really kind of formed with. And that's where Ed Warren became like a big piece of this puzzle. Because right. he wasn't a full-on clergy member. No. He wasn't an exorcist. No. But his he, job was actually to go in. He had, because one of the things you have to do in order to get intervention from the clergy or from the church you is have to have proof. you have to provide proof. So yeah. that was his job was to go in and provide yeah. the proof. But what we were talking about, like with last episode with demons is there's not a lot of people that have this type of knowledge and, and an exorcist no. is like a hammer yeah, in search of an, you know, a, a nail basically. Mm-hmm. And they're purely in the removal business, right? Exorcists, are not in the identification. They're not no. in the investigation. No. So there was this big gap with it. And that's where Ed Warren got popular with it because he was going out and, and checking all of this from the start. Yes. Right from the phone call. Yeah. Or, and he know, would also do out. follow-ups. Oh, yeah. They all do follow-ups. Yep. And especially the one I read, uh, the Kenneth G. Deal book, um, the Catholic Demonic or Demonologist Handbook. He said that that is... Pretty much all he does is talk to people yeah. that he's already helped or tried to help. And and that's basically like 90% of the work. Right. But what ended up happening with demonologists is there was just a need for these individuals. Right. Because of, you know, there's a huge gap in between the psychiatrist and the exorcist regarding spiritual conflicts mm-hmm. and this type of spiritual warfare. And Ed Warren was really the first who was considered a demonologist. And he just had this uncommon knowledge in many aspects. 
and a, a very sound understanding and knowledge of Christian Judeo demonology. Mm-hmm. He just had this knowledge and it became, he became popular with it. And other demonologists are becoming more and more prevalent in that area because right. of, again, see a need, fill a need. need. Yeah. This also uh, includes the pursuit to catalog demons. And mm-hmm. Some believe cataloging, including the origin, gender, ethnic background, what religion it exists in, and geographical area in the world it mostly exists. I have deep re- reservations for that. You know, as I started I to read... I see that it would be problematic. I really do. You know, there's a lot of online websites and other publications that... And like the book you read. With yeah. me, it's like, you know, it has all the demon names and... Oh, yeah. It, know, it's got their class. Yeah, It's the got class where they fall. It's how many uh, subservient demons they have underneath them. No, exactly. And it's... Re- Ridiculous. And a lot of the websites, some of them are copy and paste. You can literally see it. it's the same wording. Right. Things and to that. But let's, let's just take that for a second. They're putting all of this time and energy into naming and classifying demons when they're liars. Well, and that's what I get with. This lays the groundwork that a demon would tell you the truth. Yeah. And just think about that for a second. Yeah. If a demon's going to tell you, my name is this. Yeah. And these demons work underneath me and all that. Bullshit. I just can't make that leap. No, I can't either. And I have to tell you, that was one of the big problems with reading demons and demonology. Yeah. And it goes so far as to say, this demon always tells you the truth. Bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't. I can't make that leap. No. And there's, and there's more than ample evidence that proves that demons will do whatever it takes they do, to destroy yes. the human spirit. And I believe a dark side really defines who we really are. Exactly. It's yes. not just a demon. No. And it's... I give that example of, you know, we should realize that even people can be deceptive as to their true nature as well. Correct. And like, I give up Ted Bundy as one example of two that mm-hmm. I'm going to bring here. Where he might have been a model neighbor and the way he conducted a murder spree of mass murders is more of a telltale of his true nature. Correct. Than so how he was known kindly returning like a a neighbor's lawnmower refilled with gas after borrowing. But let's be honest. Whenever you get into the serial killers and everyone does the, wow, I had no idea. I never would have guessed. They are always listed even by their victims that are survivors they're like you know they were super charismatic mm-hmm. you know friendly and yeah. en- friendly enough to get you mm-hmm. to get your trust oh yeah so i can only imagine that a demon would be friendly enough he's going to tell you what you want to hear to yeah. get your trust well, and, and then boom no and i think like a serial killer is a great parallel to kind of talk about demons Mm -hmm. because you have the one serial killer that just goes in and kills yep and does that then there's the other ones like the ted bundy's that got in bought your faith bought your your you know your trust earned earned all of that Mm -hmm. and earned through it being a nice person under the guise of this right true nature until he went on his of this true nature his berserking you know the the ted bundy that was out in the world and being nice to everybody and doing all these things that wasn't the real ted bundy correct the real ted bundy was the guy who was brutally murdering murdering people and just going on a murder spree and again that's where i stress that a dark side really defines 
who we are. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with like a, you know, trying to catalog the demons. And uh, Kenneth G. Deal in this book goes to great lengths with that. Mm-hmm. Where just, there is a uh, an understanding of cataloging this to a certain degree. I'm more of the kind that, you know, basically I believe in the lower and higher ranking system. Right. I believe in that. Yes. But I believe there far, are minions and then I believe there are. That's as far as I can yeah. go. I can't go any further with it. No. And, you know, like a more common example than using a serial killer. Because I hate using like a serial killer on there. Because no, no one really knows one. No one, you right. know, and you yeah. got the news and yeah. movies and shows to really kind of push that in a separate thing. But everybody at one point knows a drug addict. Correct. Whether it's family, friends, coworker, what have you. And there's a great deal of difference between a drug addict who destroys their own life in silence during the course of their addiction. Right. Versus an addict who destroys their own and everyone else's life around them. Right. And the addict that steals their grandmother's small social security check or brutally murders people for money to get their fix, that dark side is defining who they are. Correct. Yes. You know, and that's, that's more than just an addiction. Yeah. There's yeah. there's other things at play there. Mm-hmm. As you read more about demons and demonology and demonologists, you really kind of see this crazy path of how people can get lured in. Yep. And and it's a it's a basically a, a power of invitation. Yeah. And once that invitation is in, they slam in and the wild ride starts. Everything so I've read has stated that demons are everywhere and they're just waiting for that invitation, invitation. that opening. Yeah. And you can grant them permission without even knowing it, without yeah. even outright saying it. And there's many groups that mm-hmm. discuss this aside from, say, Catholics and, mm-hmm. and so forth. But the Catholics just have a really, again, this goes with, they just have a lot of the written records right? Yes, with this through the history of time. And that's where you see this power of invitation. And it's this gets back to the spiritual warfare of it. I mean, we're looking at positive against negative, flesh versus spirit. Right. It's a very clear, defined mm-hmm. piece that demonologists go through, especially in the Catholic area. Mm-hmm. And... These choices, you know, with the power of invitation, the choices we make can tip the scales of war to one side or the other. Yes. And we can become a pawn for the negative. This isn't even really getting into religion or anything. This is just making choices in your life. Mm -hmm. If you don't want to believe demons or any of this type of stuff, just the power of invitation of bringing a thought into your mind. When you make these choices, you can become a pawn for the negative and not even know it. Yeah. And our daily struggles involve attacks of temptations, as our actions, words, and deeds carried out can be as a seed of thought implanted into our hearts and minds. Mm-hmm. And these are just simple, subtle things. You know, yeah. if you're around a group of people and they tell you, you know, oh, you know, we all hate this person. Yep. And well, why do you hate him? Well, you know, he's just an asshole or, or there might be evidence of something, you know, and then you're brought into this whole idea of this person's an asshole or this chick's Mm -hmm. a bitch. Yep. And we've all had that growing up as kids, especially because kids love to cluster in little groups and cliques. They sure do. And then, you know, the funny, you know, nine out of 10 times you would go and meet that person that they're all talking about. And it's like, there's nothing wrong with this person at all. They're a nice person. Yeah. You know, but it's that 10, it's that invitation of thought and getting you in a, a certain scenario. 
and stuff like that, the seeds of thought can build and they're well knowing our unhealthy desires and curiosities. It's feeding into that. Yes. And it builds up. Yeah. And as we carry them out and give into such thoughts, it can take the war to a whole nother level that will open doors, mm-hmm. for example, to bring a demon to manifest physically. Yes. That's the thought of the demonologist on the right. Catholic end. Correct. And yes. also exorcist. You know, yes. the book I read with Father uh, Gabriel Amworth. Very big on this concept. Yes. You know, I mean, it's it's not debatable in their end you know right yes. this is what they push and this would result in a demonic infestation oppression right and possession you yes. know leading to possession and that's where i really started looking into just the different roles everyone seems to have here mm-hmm. and i've worked backwards in demons going from right from the exorcist back to the actual person who is affected right with this yeah. conflict and the demonologist is basically considered like a type of technician mm-hmm. where their focus surrounds identification, investigation, and, you know, they can perform a removal, but it's mostly through like focused in collective prayer. Yes. And they might do it on their own right there on site. They might do it later. Mm-hmm. They also, uh, they might have someone contact a prayer group Yeah. and have a prayer group or, you know, have a church hold mass. Mm-hmm you know, for, you know, them and, and other, yep. other people. Um, a demonologist may consult a ghost hunter or perform ghost hunter like practices during their investigation. Mm-hmm. But even a lot of demonologists that I read didn't really have a lot of good things to say about ghost hunters. A lot of it was I can see that because they felt that ghost hunters were seeking more than just collecting evidence. They were right. looking for either fame, no notoriety or a paycheck. Yeah. But also outside of all that, they just felt they did more harm than good. And an example would be trying to like engage a response or force a reaction of a suspected spirit or demon and provoke it. What the exorcists and the demonologists are mostly looking for is can you just gather the evidence without trying to do anything? Right. And herein lies the problem because the exorcists and the demonologists will say, they're going to hide from you. Yes. They're only going to do things around the affected person. Mm-hmm. And even then they're going to hide. Mm-hmm. They know someone's coming in to look for them. And you right. think about it. If you're hiding in someone's house and you don't want them to know, you're not going to come out. No. You're going to stay in the closet or the floorboards or the or attic wherever. or whatever. Yep. And you're going to stay there till the coast is clear. Mm-hmm. And then when the coast then is clear, business, you, as usual. business as usual. And you go back to doing what you're doing. But the problem is, is when they... They're saying the ghost hunters invoke that response or try to engage that response. Number one, it's angering the spirit or demon that's in there, mm-hmm. but it's also lending them strength because it's like anything else, like an idea or a person's behavior. Yeah. The more you listen to it and the more you, you feed give it, it credit, mm-hmm. you're feeding it and it grows in existence. Mm-hmm. It's like that coworker that maybe will complain to you all the time about, say, like, you know, their spouse or something like that, and you know, or a sibling or something. And, you know, the first couple of days you're like, yeah, no, you know, I get it. And you're just trying to be nice, you know, yeah. but then after a while, it's just the same old thing. And you're, what you did is embraced it. If yeah. you just said right off the bat, I don't want to talk about that, mm-hmm. or you change the subject and kind of subtly made it through there. It doesn't have any life anymore. It doesn't right. have any oxygen. Yeah, it's done. I believe that with depression. Mm-hmm. With all the stuff I fought through depression, I realized, and that's where it hit a chord with me. 
the demons and demonologist stuff. Mm-hmm. It hit a big chord with me with depression. Because mm-hmm. before I really started investigating this heavily and mm-hmm. reading about this and researching it, you know all the time, I always used to say, it's a monster. And if you feed that monster, it grows. Right, yes. If, if you feed that monster to let you think that you're worthless every day or that you have no reason to go outside, mm-hmm. it's just going to grow and grow and right. grow. And month after month and year after year, you've got this thing possessing you, mm-hmm. this idea possessing you. And it takes a lot of work to wriggle out of that. Right. My method was is looking at it literally as a, a monster. Right. And just if I feed this thing and give it, it's going to grow. If mm-hmm. I don't feed it, it's going to shrivel up, be weak, and fall apart. Right. And that I started looking at where they talk about this with what ghost hunters do. Mm-hmm. And it really made a, an impact on me on that, where I see if you aggravate something or give it credit. Yeah. That, again, is the cataloging of the demons. They, in this yeah. book, would say, don't give them a name. Don't give them credit. No. Don't give them, you know, it's like uh, mass shooters. Yeah. Stuff like that today. You put their name on a newspaper. You're giving them credit. Exactly. And you're giving them the power. You're giving them what they want. Yeah, you're you're giving them the y- power. Yes. They want to be on the news. They, they want to be on the newspaper. They want the 15 minutes. Yes. They want the 15 minutes. And, and what they're hoping is, is that 15 minutes will give someone else a reason to do the same exact thing. Yeah. And you see that through time as you get older. The more they publicize the stuff, the rise goes up. Yep. And the more they switch to a different topic on the news and they change things, you don't hear about them anymore. No. And I think that's closely linked. Mm -hmm. When you read about demons, that stuff gets into your head. Yeah. It plays with you because you sit there and you look and you make these kind of connections and Mm -hmm. you see where you give something credence. Yep. And you see it fueling a fire. Many demonologists and exorcists believe that. These ghost hunters, when they create an invitation, they're unable to control and leave an environment worse than when they, yeah, you know, they enter end up one. making it worse. And that's their their big issue with that. Yeah. And they say, right, all of them say they, they have a place, the ghost hunters and stuff. But yeah, but there's a lot of rules here that people got to follow and respect. Yes. So I'm betting yeah. the ghost hunters that they work with probably aren't the ghost hunters that we're seeing on TV. No, you'd never hear of them. No, exactly. Most of them. I, but bet, they, th- I bet they work with ghost facers. <laughs> Where are my supernatural peeps at? Yo. It's a, uh, uh, it's going to be just weird without that show. That's uh, I don't want to talk about it. I know. I know. So we'll continue. Okay. So the exorcists again are, they're basically like the repairman and their focus is just removal. Mm-hmm. removal of the possession and a refresh again exorcism when used in the catholic church mainly refers to the roman ritual being performed by a true ordained catholic priest requires prior consent for the local archdiocese the bishop yep and it must be performed by a, an appointed catholic priest yes exorcist yes but, so if something like this happens to someone even the Demonologists say one should not come out of the gate requesting an exorcism from a church. No. Consult with a psychiatrist. They all say it. Yeah. Every single one of them. The the last book I was reading, they were saying not only do you have to go to a psychiatrist, but they want you to have gone to your medical doctor, yep. make sure that you don't have any tumors, make yep. sure you don't have any, you know, any strange things going on. Like there are several steps. 
and, and hoops that you have yeah. to jump through in order to even be considered to have a demonologist mm-hmm. come out and assess your situation. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, is I don't have all the details to it because I just couldn't write up everything for yeah. this. But in Germany, and it was within the last, I want to say, 100 years, there was a group of religious people that got basically imprisoned for homicide because they, they, they jumped were, right um, into the religious route and the religious pieces of it. And what ended up happening, they found out later, was that the affected person had this medical condition. And if this person got treated for their medical condition, they would have been fine. Now, see, it's funny because when I read up on that case. Well, it's probably more than one case for starters. Yeah. Well, this was the one where the woman died. It was in the 70s. And uh, the the church, the exercising priests were actually charged by Germany themselves, yeah. stating that they were the cause of this woman's death, and her death was due to dehydration. They were saying they, they prevented was, her from having food and drink. Yeah, but it was dehydration, but she had other medical conditions. And that's what I'm saying. Her medical conditions, along with dehydration, it was a, a group of these medical reasons. Yeah. That's what I'm getting at. If they did the dehydration, like if they did the fasting, you know, because it's a result of the fasting. If they did the fasting on a normal person, it would have been fine. But they had these medical conditions, and I forget what they are. I'm yeah. not going to get into it no. too crazy because I don't have it in front of me. But it's along those lines. And what I'm stressing to the fact, consult with a psychiatrist. They all say it. Yeah. The demonologists say yeah. it. The exorcists say it. The priests say it. See a doctor. And this is funny, of course, because I said this before. We don't hear these stories of religion and science working together much. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, is you read a lot of these cases, they do. And I'm going to, yeah. that's the one I'm going to read today. I pointed yeah. this one out on purpose because it's from someone in the medical community. But they say, consult with a psychiatrist. If that doesn't help, then pursuing a demonologist could be a next step. However, the tough part is anyone can claim they're a demonologist. You and also I could true. do it. We could be a year into this podcast and be like, oh, we're experts on... We're blah, demonologists blah, you know. now? Yeah, because we have podcasts and I could publish a I have, book or... I have many books. You know, and this... <laughs> I read all your books. This, of course, the problem is, is it invites the potential for fraud, of course, and the yep. reality of making, again, this situation worse. Right. Which is like the ghost hunters and things yes. like that. So it's a really tough... There's not a like a, a real kind of organized system here no unfortunately no and people are kind of just getting through it now you can request an investigation through a church and let the church make all that call and the best recommendations they say would be to ask for prayers even contact a convent or monastery to ask if they'll offer you know a mass or masses for you or the affected person's intentions and consider a donation even if it is a small one Mm mm-hmm I'm not saying you can just do the donation, but right. it's the for the church going through this, be a little more inclined yeah. to furnish your request if yes. you could give a small donation. And that could doesn't have to be money. It could be food. It could be whatever. Anything. It's just that you showing that you have this need and you're willing to offer something. Yeah. And they say that most 
of the issues that people have going on in their homes or in their life, they say that's enough right there. Yeah. So if you're home and you're having an issue and no one wants to listen to you Mm -hmm. and you don't think anybody's paying attention to you, your family members think you're crazy Mm -hmm. or your friends think you're crazy, demonologists and I myself recommend that you go to your local church and request prayer. Yeah. And even, you know, because churches hold prayer groups. All the time. All the time. Yeah. And they have a list of names and they pray to them. Yep. It could be someone that's fighting cancer. Even our church down the road here. Mm-hmm. There's a list of like 50 people they have that they prayer for the prayer group every week. Yeah. And again, a lot of the exorcists and demonologists say this alone works for many of the cases. Yeah. However, the disclaimer is you have to have your faith up. Yes. You got to up your faith. You can't mm-hmm. just hope these other people praying for you is, is going to fix this and be enough. Most everything that I have read has stated that even if you go through all of the steps and even if you do get the sanctioned exorcism, that that's not enough. If you don't change oh, yeah. something within your life, you are still open to that. Yeah whole experience <laughs> happening again and they all say whatever your your faith may be is you've got to find a faith and you've got to live a positive happy life because that's the opposite of the demons they feed on the negative and they feed on all of that so if you're non-religious and you're negative and you're constantly in a state of turmoil or you're constantly arguing with whoever it is that your significant Mm -hmm. other is or even your entire family that that's the perfect breeding ground but a happy family could move into a supposedly infested home and never have any experiences because their life does not open the door to it. No, that and gets it back does to, not feed it. That yeah. gets back to what we we're talking before. If you feed this and lend this any credence, you're only you're just making it stronger. Where you could go through, and I think that's my, you know, when I sit there and say I go into these places and people say they're haunted and things like that, I think that's my yes ability. Yeah. I just don't give it. No, you don't. I don't. I I take away its oxygen. Yeah, so to speak, and I'm good at that. Let's be honest. Yes, you I, are. I can take you, the you. oxygen out of anything. <laughs> yeah. But like uh, Father Gabriel Amworth and Kenneth G. Deal both said that even an atheist who could just be, they said the power of prayer is so strong that even an atheist that could just believe in that prayer for a single moment, they saw amazing things. Mm-hmm. And these are two guys that have thousands of cases under their belts. Yes. This isn't just... Yeah. Uh, Again, the fly-by-night folks. I mean, they've just been yeah. doing it forever and ever and ever. And they they claim the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's the, the interesting part, and this is why they, they push this stuff for prayer and prayer group and, and, and all those in that standard direction. If one is able to get the process going for an ex- exorcism, this begins the process that all of them refer to as the red tape nightmare. Mm-hmm. And it's a lengthy process of going from investigation to exorcism. Yes. Now, that's not even getting rid of it yet. That's just getting no. to exorcism and classifying that. Yep. Can take six months to a couple of years. Yep. And they all say it's more than the six-month bit. It's long. Yeah. And a lot of that's demand 
fraud. They got to look into all that stuff. Yeah. So some priests used the red tape, unfortunately, to purposely avoid the extraordinary task. Right. And some find it safer behind the podium as a minister of the people and will be very reluctant to show up to check out a supposed haunted location. And it's just something that many are not used to dealing with. Well, and it's also, you know, I'm sorry, but every faith has their group of exorcists who have gotten additional training. So, Well, what they're saying, though, is it's not even about the training. And this gets back to the faith. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, which is why all priests are not sanctioned exorcists. Right. Because partly their knowledge and faith can vary. It's not Correct. just knowledge, yeah. it's faith. Yeah. You know, and this makes a priest with a weak faith not only less effective in deliverance, but they could also stir up more trouble again yeah. in, in effectively cleansing a home. And that's the issue with that. You know, everybody wants to think that uh it's everybody wants to think that all priests are equal in their faith and they're not. No, they're not. Many are in different, yep. you know, then you know, they brought up an example. There could be a monk in a monastery that knows everything about this that's all they did was just read books and and go through with it but their faith isn't good in the the people end yeah and it's kind of like a it's it's like an it person everybody has you know there's that one it person that's just like dubbed the catch they have Mm -hmm. the people skills they have the technical skills they're organized oh like you like you no 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 no. (laughs) i'm not gonna shamelessly self-promote myself for that but you have the other ones that are brilliant. Yes. And can do things that are just absolutely amazing, but they can't even look you in the eye when they talk. They got to have their head down yep. and, you know, they just it's very socially awkward. Mm-hmm. That's the same thing. On You're the not end of a sending priest. the socially you awkward know. guy. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you got to pitch the big deal to the board. You're not sending the socially awkward guy. No. You're going to send the, the one catch. that can, you know, yes. talk to him in a, and not also make you know, eye it, contact. Yeah, make eye but also be able to explain these complex eye processes and, yeah. and you know yeah. processes and things to a level that a, a normal lay person can understand. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing here with demonic possession according to the Catholic Church. Right. And that's where they have to do all this studying because they got to explain all of this to unfortunately not someone who can just understand it but sometimes who don't even believe it. Yeah. Because in the Catholic mind, their disbelief is what brought all of this in. Yes. And they have to have that very candid dialogue. And that's what I found interesting with Kenneth or Ken Deal's book. Because he's that in the middle type of thing where mm-hmm. he's born Catholic, went through his life with Catholic, but he's not a priest, nope. not ordained, yep. not an exorcist, but he has all this knowledge. And mm-hmm. that was Ed Warren. And that's what brought, you know, the fame of that. What's Interesting is, is that many demonologists rule fraud as the largest percentage cases they're involved in. Mm-hmm. They say, you know, every time the phone rings, it's more fraud than, than not. Yeah. But what's further of interest is that the majority of genuine cases, they involve some sort of dark art practiced or ritual performed. Yes. And the hard part is, is to get that person to admit it. Yes. And make that step to turn right. into the right direction. Mm-hmm. And this would be, say, the practice of like a Ouija board, seance, seance yep. mediums. These acts would be performed and open this uh, basically like a Pandora's box that they're unable to close. Exactly. On their own. Yes. 
And that was a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Like the Kenneth uh, Deal in his book, uh, Father Gabriel Amworth, they said that it's basically well over 50% of the cases that they do. Yes. It's because of that. Yep. And I know you read somewhere where it was uh, Ouija boards were like 80, 90% no, or something. No, oh, no. Uh, it was uh, 40% of the cases That's right. that Ed and Lorraine Warren investigated, the demonic, I guess, door that was opened yeah. was the use of the, the Ouija board. The invitation. Yeah. But- all of their cases, it was some sort of paranormal something. Either yeah. the Ouija board, uh, seance, a lot of uh, summoning rituals, mm-hmm. or just straight up black magic. Yeah. And that's where the exorcist explains the demonic by Father Gabriel Amworth, who was a... Mm-hmm. Is an exorcist. Exorcist. And, yeah. you know, he was very, very high up in the chain of exorcists for the Catholic Church. Basically, he was saying you can't eliminate the idea of a sensitive or medium. Some people are truly, in his words, he said, some people are truly graced by God. Yes. He goes, however, that does, again, open up. It does, You know, you're in the snake pit, as he would, you know, basically kind of refer to it Mm -hmm. as. Not exactly, but, but you're in the snake pit, and it's very hard to determine who is the real thing or not. Yes. And there's really good explanations of it. Back to what we were talking with demons last week, a real angel in the Catholic sense, and even just Christianity, a real angel doesn't need to talk to you. And they don't. And they don't talk to you. So if you are talking to what would be perceived as a loved one that has passed, basically the demonologist that, lay on the Christianity side and the Catholic exorcist will say that's either a demon or it can be a loved one and they're reaching out once as an emergency or it's a guardian angel that's, you know, case of emergency, break Break open glass. glass. Yeah, It's that or it is the loved one and what they're doing is if they were to contact you, they're begging you for some sort of forgiveness because they're caught in purgatory. Right. And they need to... They need atonement. They need atonement and they need to get their penance straight yes. to get into heaven. Yes. And in the Catholic sense. And and I have to say, it kind of makes sense to get into this spiritual realm of things because it can get muddy and dirty. Mm-hmm. But me as one who's uh, a, a cynic of a lot of things and a skeptic, I can, I can buy into that idea pretty easy. Yes. Of either it's the guardian angel trying to reach you, to help you from something yeah. that's immediate. Yeah. Or the purgatory idea. Yes. Or the demonic. And I'm yeah. bought into the de- demonic thing because yeah. if they're going to lie, cheat, steal, do whatever to get your attention, then what better way than to come back as your sweet old grandmother? Yeah. Yep. And if, they're, if they really are fallen angels or spirits, and that's where I think you have this, that's where I believe of the the... The rank and file. Yes. I definitely believe in that. I think they probably have all these small demons, you know, the low, low hanging fruit demons that are just making noise, trying to get your attention, bring the invitation to the door, and then the next rank and file comes in, you know, and then they get it up to that level and chew that level away. And then 
a next one comes in, and that's where you hear these stories of people that get exercise and they got 20 demons or 30 demons. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and I think it just becomes like this onion layer. Mm -hmm. If you choose to believe it, believe into this. So that brings me um, to the possession story I wanted to read. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was because it was based on this idea of a psychiatrist and a priest Yes. Working together in tandem on these these subjects. Mm-hmm. And this one's called Julia Satan's Priestess. And it's uh, Dr. Richard Gallagher, a board-certified psychiatrist, published a paper entitled, Among the Many Counterfeits, A Case of Demonic Possession. And this is in Oxford Review, March 2008. And it discusses his experience with a patient who he fu- uh, fully believed was demon-possessed. Mm-hmm. So Julia is a su- uh, pseudonym that he used for this patient and was in her early 40s, a self-supporting, intelligent woman who he described as quite poised. In an informal conversation with her, there was nothing to hint that she was controlled by anything paranormal and she seemed logical and quite sane. To all appearances, Julia was a normal, attractive, well-spoken woman. The main thing that did stand out about Julia was her rather dramatic choice of appearance, all black clothing combined with an abundance of dark eye makeup, the goth look, you know. And and Julia was a self-styled satanic priestess who had been active in various satanic cults throughout the years. There was nothing to cause those involved in her case to doubt the truth of this. And she even admitted it as most likely the cause behind her possession. So mm-hmm. even she's... Yeah. Coming forward with this. She initially asked for help from the Catholic Church when her symptoms began to manifest. Being raised Catholic, though rejecting Catholicism in the past, she still felt it was her best hope. It was one of the priests working on her case that asked Dr. Gallagher to participate in this cause. So she went to the church first, just Mm -hmm. to keep everybody on the same page. Church sent her to To the the psychiatrist. psychiatrist. And then the psychiatrist glad to participate. So some of the chilling aspects of uh, Julia's possession were the voices that would speak through her. They ranged from deep, guttural, and menacing to abnormal, high-pitched. All the voices were markedly different from Julia's normal speaking voice, as well as her normal means of just expressing herself. Mm -hmm. The voices would claim ownership of Julia and mock those trying to help her using filthy, just terrible language. They love them, some vulgarity yeah. and profanity. Yeah, just dirty sailors. You know. They really are. <laughs> so these voices uh, expressed an unbelievable level of hatred and vitriol besides knowing disturbing things about those in the vicinity of Julia. Yes. And these voices didn't only speak English, as Julia did. They were fluent in Spanish, Latin, and Greek. It seemed they relished distracting the priests and nuns involved by using classical languages. The voices were always crude and abusive, punctuating their threats with foul language. None of this was typical of Julia's pattern of speech or the content of her conversations. Neither the tone of the voice, speech patterns, or expressions in any way reflected Julia. Mm-hmm. So all of this was just all, all different. So in one incident, Julia mentioned to a team member of the group that was working on this, those cats really had a a fight last night, didn't they? 
and most may not find this statement too out of context. However, the team member lived in a different city than Julia and had been awakened at 2 a.m. by her two pet cats who normally got along very well, having a terrible cat fight. Apparently, whatever was in control of Julia knew about it and might have even instigated it. Mm -hmm. It was, to say the least, quite intimidating, which was no doubt the purpose behind it. Yes. So in another instance, Julia spoke to another team member about uh, his or her deceased family member with information concerning their relationship, personality, uh, and also the type of cancer they were suffering. Mm -hmm. Julia had no previous information concerning the team member's family. And once again, whatever was controlling Julia was to intimidate those working in her, you know, for her deliverance. So now the team's getting attacked by just trying to help her. Yes. Which is very common. Very common in all of these stories. Yes. And Julia would often reveal to team members their secret weaknesses and sins in addition to accurately stating the location and actions of people called to work on the case. And this is all before she even, she ever met him. Funny. What I read was uh, demons can't access sins that you have confessed to in the confessional. Yeah, that's what they say. Yep. And members believe something uh, so yeah, she was called to work, you know, all of this, she's calling to actions yeah. and this is before she even met him. Members believe something wanted the team to know there was nothing about them that it, that didn't, it didn't know. know. Yeah. And there's just that fear of, you know, are they going to bring this up or are they going to bring that up? Mm-hmm. And, and it's this Hail Mary attack to get this, these people away so right. they can just so claim they this can person. Claim her, yep. So during her exorcisms, Julia could tell the difference between holy water and plain tap water. If plain tap water was poured or sprinkled on her, she showed no physical reaction. However, if holy water was applied to her, she would scream out in extreme pain. Yes. The voices uh, speaking through Julia didn't just limit themselves to evaluation and exorcism times. In a quite chilling episode, Dr. Gallagher was discussing Julia's case on the phone with a priest far from where Julia was located. In the middle of the conversation, one of Julia's demonic voices interrupted the conversation, ordering the men to leave Julia alone. Both men were completely baffled as to how her voice managed to come over the phone line as well as it knew they were discussing her at that time. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. They're everywhere. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it gets better. Of course it does. (laughs) So what did impress the team, I love how they say that, what did impress the team, because, you know, up till now, no, uh, you know, it's just... It's just demon stuff. It's just eggs and pancakes, you know. (laughs) Just demon stuff. So what did impress the team, however, was how Julia would sometimes levitate during exorcisms. In one particular instance, a group of witnesses, including health professionals and nuns working as psychiatric nurses, saw Julia floating unsupported about 10 inches above the floor for 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. This was not the only time she was have said to levitate, but it was the most impressive instance and occurred during an attempted exorcism. Yep. Levitation was not the most dramatic manifestation associated with Julia's condition. During another levitation incident, while suspended in the air six inches off the floor, objects began to fly off shelves around the room in a terrifying display 
of what experts call psychokinesis. Oddly enough, when Julia was questioned about the incident later on, she didn't remember any of it. And Ed Warren's uh, exorcism cases, they remove Everything, everything from the room except the bed that the person is on and yeah. the table that they put their Bible mm-hmm. and holy water on. Now, here's the thing. Even reading from Gabriel Amorth, Father yep. Gabriel, he said that like these types of cases right here are rare. rare. Yes. Like out of They're a, the exception. Out of the a rule. thousand yep. cases, they might have one yep. that's like this. But I just find them fascinating yeah. to, to hear about. It's, uh, it's unbelievable. So when levitating or speaking in these other voices, Julia would also go into a trance-like state. It was also, it was as if she checked out and someone else checked in. Just be like a light switch. This chick had everything going on. Yeah. I mean, it's just like all of the small Mm -hmm. stuff of small stories just into a big one. During these trances, besides manifesting paranormal powers, Julia would speak of herself in the third person and much of what, was said took the form of taunts, jeers, and threats. Phrases such as, she's ours, leave her alone imbecile, and other expressions peppered with extreme profanity were quite common. Another characteristic of what was said was a very great deal of contempt for religion and all things sacred, going so far as to call the nuns whores. She also exhibited superhuman strength to the point at least three women held her down so she wouldn't harm herself to others. Yep. So on a warm, sunny day, Julia was brought in for another exorcism. As she was led into the room, those felt a dramatic, icy drop in temperature. It was an unnatural cold that chilled them to the bone as the room took on an eerie, hostile atmosphere. Nevertheless, when the demons began to speak through Julia, things changed dramatically. The temperature in the room consistently increased, and those working with her began to sweat profusely as the temperatures continued to rise to almost unbearable levels. Yep. As they continued with prayers and rituals, in spite of the stifling, unnatural heat, the sounds coming from Julia changed to chilling, animalistic uproars, seemingly impossible for any human being to make. Soon the voices switched back to their normal behavior, utilizing different languages to pour... Uh, pour forth abuse, contempt, and sacrilege with extreme hatred and anger. Unfortunately, while the exorcisms proved to be helpful, Julia never found complete freedom from the demons that possessed her. Yep. And that's from a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. I'm going to repeat that. Yeah. Because, I mean, a lot of stuff we draw from, that's what I really loved about that story, because we draw a lot of stuff from, say, Christianity or yeah. other religions yep. and there is room to speculate on all that stuff. It, mm-hmm. You know, it lends itself room to. Yeah. But I also think if you, if you pursue in a more positive realm to believe it, you can see a lot of truth in yeah. those realms as well. But everybody wants to cling on to the science type of thing. And that's where I really wanted to include that story. Cause that's a psychiatrist. That's the psychiatrist account. Right. It's not the priest. No. It's not the nuns that work there no. or, you know, anyone else that was assisting in any kind of, because they have prayer groups mm-hmm. on site of those exorcisms when they're involved in that level. And it really just um, lends itself to a different kind of perspective yeah. on how, how those stories go through. And that, my friends, 
is demonology. That's all she wrote. Yeah. What do well, we have Well, that's next? all we wrote. Yeah. <laughs> they wrote all. so much they more. <laughs> so much more. We couldn't have oh fit it gosh. all in. No. What do we got going up next? We have my my least favorite Ouija boards. I know you're 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 getting through this one. Uh, I I am. Um, anyone me, anyone who knows me knows that for years I have stated, don't touch it, don't buy it, don't bring it in your home. If it's in your home, get rid of it. I don't care that it's just classified as a board game. There's just too much evidence to suggest that it serves as a portal. It's that gateway. That's well, I, the that's the invitation. Yeah, that's that's where that's when you give it permission when you start communicating with learning, it. Learning through this, as I've read, the power of invitation is a huge yeah. piece of the puzzle with this. Yes. And it's whether you're a believer, a or non-believer not. Yeah. of some organized religion, it doesn't just go with possession and things like that. It's right. it's the invitation yeah. of doing just things in general. Yeah. It gets back to like if you're if you went to work every single day and you had the choice to hang around a positive person all day for eight to ten hours yes. or a negative person for eight to ten hours. I'm if you make you know and the with thing the positive is, person. But that's the thing is yeah. you have that choice. Yeah. You have that choice to do that. Mm-hmm. And if you hang out with that negative person, you made that choice. You've made that choice and you've brought that power of invitation to you. Yes. And there's a huge chance, and I say in my age, which will remain not Nameless. disclosed, yes. you know. But there's a huge chance that you're going to be a negative person. Just simply by hanging out by with them. By hanging out yeah. with them. It invites that whole idea of being negative. Mm-hmm. And everybody sits there and says, oh, I hate hanging around being the, you know, hanging around the positive person. It's like, well, maybe you're on the other side. Yeah. You're on the negative too far. And that's why it's tough to be around someone like yep. that. You cling to what you know. Yes. And you cling to not even what you know. You cling to what you're comfortable with. Yes. My whole thought pattern at this point in my life is, is, if you're comfortable around negative, you need to fix some shit in your life. Yeah. That's, I'm just going to say it. You. I'm not going to sugarcoat yeah. it. I'm not going to PC it up. You know, if, yeah. you're, if you're comfortable around negative, you need to fix your shit. Yeah. You, you have a you problem at that point. Yes. You know, if that's what makes you comfortable. Yes. And now here's the thing. If you're not even comfortable around that, but yet you want to be around that or you find yourself being around that. You really need to fix shit up. You got to figure out yeah, what there's something. Why going are you uncomfortable? Yeah. Why are you doing this while you're even uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah. sure there's plenty of life coach podcasts out there that'll help you out. <laughs> we're not one of them. But, no, we're not. But but that's just food for thought. Yeah. And and you can get sucked into that trap. You sure can. And you won't do exciting things hanging around with this person because they just sit around and bitch and crab and moan about anything. Yeah. Where the positive person. They're happy with what they're doing and they're doing other options with yes. things or they're going out and riding a bike or hiking mm-hmm. or or doing something and they're just positive, overall positive. Yes. And that's contagious. Like attracts like. Like everybody says, like, you know, it's contagious. And I've kind of traded that word contagious lately with what I've been reading to invitation. Yeah. And 
you just read case after case and example after an example, especially from these people that have been doing it for 20 years mm-hmm. and it's their life. Yeah. It's like a, like a cop saying they can spot out a liar from oh, yeah. know, a room full of people that give statements and they just, mm-hmm. because they've done it for so long and they've they been around the liars yep. for so long. They just know all the hallmarks of a liar and not even getting into demons with demonologists, but just all the hall- hallmarks of where they got to where they, you know, approached at that type of engagement. And that's where I really found it fascinating where they were talking about how the majority of the, once you get the fraud out, mm-hmm. the majority of the cases, it's some sort of black, dark art yeah. practice that yes. got them there. The Ouija board, the yep. seance, the, yep. you know, consulting with a medium, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, these types of things are trying to conduct their own seance and their own medium yeah. stuff without having an experienced medium get in through there. And when you're around that much trying to get in, yeah, and that's really how it just felt was there's just this army that's like coming in like Lord of the Rings. Yeah, there's an onslaught. Two tower style, just going right towards the fort. And that's all you need is that one little invitation that one little vulnerability and they can just come pouring in and influence you putting your fingers on the planchette to hello yeah and and that's uh i'm i'm excited in that regard to get into ouija boards because that you know the the demonology and demons episodes we've done was very broad yeah. Very broad and very big. Yeah. And, it, and it just contains this a lot of information. This is very centralized and, and very and stuff, focused. Where this is very centralized and focused. And it's really actually the beginning of how all of this starts. And I like yes. the order that we did with it. We yes. brought the whole why. Yep. Why all this is here and what, you know, potentially why and how, how it all kind of works. And now we're going to, this is what starts yep. a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Not all of it, but a, a lot, lot of, of it. it. And get into that whole history of how it started, how it became what it is, yes. and how it continues to be what it is. Yes. And that's that we're looking, I'm looking very forward to that next episode in that regard. <laughs> and I hope you muscle through it, Jen. That's a, I will try. But um, <laughs> is there anything you want to wrap up with? Um, again, if you like us, you like what you hear, our little podcast that could hear uh rate review subscribe it really does help every little bit helps um we are a little mom and pop podcast still in the dining room yeah we're we're working on getting into that studio (laughs) someday (laughs) if you want to yell at me to make jen's life easier to build a studio you can contact us at oth at seriously decent.com and with that uh Thanks for listening. Yeah. And we will catch you next week with Ouija boards. And I better not catch any of you with a Ouija board. Yeah. No, don't send any screenshots. No. That'll bring, that'll bring an evil, uh, that'll bring an evil presence to our home. (laughs) No, it won't. Jen will get all mad. I'll just have to do a lot of prayers. Yeah. And I I only have so many hours in the day. However, if you do have... A Ouija board story. Yes, please feel free to share it if you're comfortable with sharing it. Yes. Um, we will share it if you just want to share it with us. Um, 
you can feel free to do that as well. If it has brought you problems, um, you know, let us know. Maybe we can find somebody. Yeah, we or can we can connect you can, with someone to help, help you. Out. you. And uh, yeah, if you have stories, again, send a oth at seriouslydecent.com. We uh, we've been contacted in the past with some stories. Yes, and uh, many people are just comfortable telling us their stories. I think a lot of it is is they just don't have anyone to talk to about it. Mm -hmm. And we are definitely, we want to be that open forum between just the two of us and you. We totally respect the idea of not broadcasting and giving the story life because that's what a few few people that have contacted us just said, look, I I just want to tell you that I had this experience and and it's true to me. It's real to me. Um, But I, we definitely do understand that again, giving it credit, giving it credence creates that power of invitation. Yes. Uh, And we respect that and we'll, we'll pray for you. Yes, we will. (laughs) And in that, uh, in that regard, we're wrapping this up. You have a great day. Have a great week. Make good choices. Take it easy. Bye.